0: Our guest today was running an entire division of a bank at the age of 19. And by the time he was his early 20s, he had written a book, which was incredible because he has dyslexia and is also running a company in his mid 20s for people. He's teaching people how to create wealth. So join us for today's episode. Welcome to the Seat Go Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. I'm a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads. We currently live, travel, and work in our 39-foot RV. For those of you that might be catching this on video, you can see an image of that behind me. That is an image. It's not real, but it's really what's behind me. So anyway, I am recording right now from the passenger seat of our mobile office, our 39-foot RV that we have nicknamed Theo. I want to encourage all of you to listen to the end of the podcast. We'll include ways that you can continue the conversation. We start today by connecting with us directly. Today we have Caleb Williams as our guest. Caleb is the founder and CEO of Better Wealth, a company committed to showing people how to have efficiency and control over their money today while maximizing their future wealth potential. Man, that is a mouthful. I almost messed up the word wealth because it was just right on my tongue there, but uh, Caleb, welcome to Seek Go Create.
1: Hey, Tim. It is a pleasure being here, man, and I am such a huge fan of how you humbly just articulate and bring people on and share your heart, and so it's an honor to be on here.
0: Excellent. Caleb, it's great to have you. I'm a big fan of yours. been listening to your podcast over the last week, and uh, and checking you out like we need to do when we have guests and man i'm excited i i i will go ahead and just say this right up front i know the audience will not mind this i believe we were divinely connected and when we're divinely connected we have to honor that and i honor that greatly and so the time we spend together is unto the lord as we will say so listen first question i like to ask i don't want to get off track here i like to ask people just a real blunt what do you do give us either your short elevator pitch or whatever you want to call it what do you do caleb
1: uh, that's it's, it's funny because i don't necessarily love elevator pitches and a lot of people when they look at me they're like you you don't even look old enough to drive a car how in the world are you able to help me with my money <laughs> but my essential elevator pitch is living intentionally is the metric that we need to be headed towards as it relates to wealth and most people are not handling their money they're not thinking about themselves and they're not using their God-given talents to best live the life that they want, best live intentionally. So I am obsessed with helping people take back control of their time, their money, and helping you use money as a tool to be most efficient with how to live your life. I, I think retirement is a, is a disaster. I don't think we should, that's the metric, but I think God has given us time and abilities and resources and we need to use that wisely.
0: Yeah, that's good. Just so you know, I may not have warned you up front, but I take notes, I take copious notes while I'm uh, while I'm interviewing. So I'll be looking down and writing in my yellow pad. I don't have the high tech anything in front of me here. But uh, there were a few words you brought up one of them that I wanted to jump on immediately, but I'm going to try to hold back the word was intentionally, because that's a powerful word. But the first thing that I want to do is let's go ahead and address that elephant in the room that you brought up, which is people look at you and think you're not old enough to drive. For those that might be watching this on video, either on our YouTube channel or, or on the Facebook live, um, you do have a young look to you. So why don't you just go ahead and share with everyone how old you are?
1: I'm, I'm 24 years old in an industry where the average age of a, a financial advisor is 58. Um, and I got started when I was 19 and started my company when I was 21. So it's been something I'm, trust me, this is, this is something I talk about on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I know. And so you have to somewhat overcome that hurdle. In fact, reading your background, I mean, you did some things in banking when a lot of people are barely even in college. So, so you okay with that? If I hit you with just a really kind of abrasive question right out of the gate here? Yes. How the heck, does a 24 year old know anything about finance and creating wealth? So let me just go ahead and get that out of the way yeah. right now.
1: I think, I think there's a couple ways that you can get wisdom. I, I, it's often, I hear this quite a bit, we are drowning in a world of information. There's so much information out there, but we're starving for wisdom. And I would say my superpower is because of my, my dyslexic, I can barely read. Um, I am motivated to finding the best. And so instead of me saying, I'm just going to learn, or I'm just going to read a book, I sought experts, I sought people that would mentor me. And although it's hard for me to read, I I have uh, an ability to take complicated things and make it simple and then articulate it. Um, And so that it was just kind of that combination of like, I truly sat at people's feet and asked questions. And I wasn't, I wasn't also taught like the because I got into it in a non-traditional way. I wasn't taught like, this is what you do. you sell our company, you sell these products, you know just I call the sheeple like the sheeple method, okay you're just you're you know you just do what you're told. I actually had to learn what's going on and because of my age, because I look even younger than what twenty four I had to really, really understand what I'm talking about and so that combination of like not only did I take that approach, but then I re- really had to go deep and understand how how money is created, kept, spent, invested, and it's just made me uh, obsessive of, of, on the topic.
0: In, in general, you just brought it up. We live in a society, culture, world, where we have access to massive amounts of information. I, I think you said it, you might've implied it, but uh, would you agree that the population is fairly um, gosh I hate to use the word ignorant but it seems to apply best fairly ignorant about money wealth uh, all things related to that yes no
1: yes yes and I think Christians are even more ignorant
0: yeah and I I actually appreciate you saying that it's almost as if we um, we check our brains at the pew and make it even worse so uh and and we've got a lot of followers of christ on that, that are are listeners and so i hope that we got their attention with that uh, back and forth right there is there have you been able to identify some of the reasons why
1: yeah yes
0: and so go ahead and fire away i mean i could guess some but i'd love to hear your take your wisdom on why is it why are we i mean i'm 56 right and I feel like I'm still learning in this area. In fact, I, I will I will at your feet get some wisdom today. Yep. I've got some questions for you later about that. So why is it?
1: So I think giving you a little context on how I, how I learned this gives you context of my, the way I'm gonna answer. So one of my first jobs was actually working at a chicken farm, okay? Without getting too graphic, let's just say I have an appreciation for a chicken sandwich. <laughs> um, and so I started making money and that's when I first got introduced to like, people just take eat, spending as much money as they're making. And I'm like, what, what, how is this working? And then that's when I got into all kinds of investment strategies and that got me into a bank. And then at the age of 19, I became one of the youngest people to actually run a bank's investment department. And, and Tim, what I could not understand was there were a lot of smart people that worked so hard in, in life. They worked so hard to even make more money. They had businesses and yet they were, they were devaluing their number one asset. I believe, and this is very biblical, but this I, I speak my business is not just a Christian-based business, but it's like I believe that we are our greatest asset. Like we are created and we're, we're a function of a couple things, of, of our time, of our ability to think and communicate. We, we, God has given us other resources. And I have saw person after person after person after person, not look with, within, but totally just go to where other people are telling them to put their money. And so what they're doing with their time, what they're doing with their ex- expertise, what they're doing with their money is not serving anything. And, and, and I think a, a metric that gets us really off track is this idea of rate of return. Nothing wrong with rate of return. Rate of return is one of the functions that go into money. It's actually a form of, of uh, determining what you should do long term. You can actually, through time value of money, see like, okay, rate of return over time will give my money to be more valuable. The problem is people just look at that and turn off their brain and say like, that's, that's it. And what I want people to just do is you think of money as a tool and think about money as a tool to help you live the life that God created you to live. And so that just gives you a little bit of context. Like it's funny on a balance sheet, on a net worth statement, you're not going to find your name on that statement at all. And yet I would argue that you are a lot of times the sole income earner. You're creating the most cash flow and you have the most, you have the greatest ability to create wealth and yet, that same analogy, it's like people are, are devaluing the number one person in their life. Yeah,
0: that's that's very good. All right, there were about four or five things you mentioned when you were just talking, but there was one that I, I think I want to address first. So after working in the chicken industry, do you actually still eat a lot of chicken? Chicken's my favorite
1: uh, meat. Really? <laughs> yes, I love chicken. <laughs>
0: OK, so it didn't mess you up or anything no. like that, because some people say that once you see how the sausage is made, you don't want any more sausage. So you still love chicken.
1: I still love chicken. I'm really grateful for uh, heat to cook chicken and kill all the all the bacteria, <laughs>
0: <laughs> all that stuff. So you gutted chicken chickens there. All right. Well, so so I and I totally agree with what you say, because that's in many ways has been part of my journey that I haven't, I've shared with our audience before, we don't have to do any of that here. But uh, I, I really held myself in high regard, always thought I could make more. In fact, I've truthfully enjoyed chasing after business and money. Now the challenge is I didn't, I didn't respect that money as a tool like I should have. But The thing that I want to go back to before we get too far away from it is you mentioned it, and I don't think you did it flippantly. You mentioned that many times Christians, followers of Christ, have even more ignorance about money than the general population. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't say, why do we think that believers, people that people that believe what happened on the cross people that followers of Christ why is it that they would be even a little worse than the general public
1: because I think it's it it's all about the relationship of how you see money and I think people are very much guilty and and they just like we we don't want to talk about it that's one of the problems that we have in America is we don't talk about money in general and I've seen that even more so of like the like how many people know what their church, like how their church is spending their money and all that stuff. It's like, you don't really ask those questions. It's all like left up into the Lord's you know, hands. And I think the Bible talks, it's very clear when the Bible talks about money and being good stewards. And a lot of people put their identity in money. And here's, my, here's the problem. If, you're, if money will just enhance whatever you are. And so I've seen a lot of good people use money as a tool to, to be generous and serve. Also seen a lot of people do massively bad things or just go downhill as relates well to money. It's not that the money made them go downhill or made them better. It just enhanced it just poured gasoline on what you're currently doing. And so being and I'm very type A, I'm a, a number three on the Enneagram. I've just never wanted to just be like whatever God has put on my heart, I want to go all in. And so if business is the key, then I have a moral obligation to be a successful business person because why else am I here? like I, I want to be intentional it goes back to our mission the intentional in everything I do so if I'm going to be a business I don't want to be mediocre I don't I don't necessarily think that we have to be careful as believers and I don't think God is wanting to just like make us be prosperous I'm not saying that at all I'm just saying I think God wants us to use our abilities and talents for the the best that we can
0: yeah to advance the kingdom is a term that I use quite a bit it's like we need to be using it to to do what we're assigned to do within his kingdom yep. And I think we all have our assignments. And I think I've talked about this often, Caleb. I I think my role and your role and everyone listening, if they consider themselves a follower, is to daily, weekly, monthly, find out what our assignment is. That's what we're supposed to do. So so in light of that, I want to back up a little bit now because you're only 24, we don't have to go back too far. But I want to talk a little bit about growing up because I think some of those entrenched beliefs about money start at a young age. And, and, and again, a lot of it's societal and, you know, we have a very, uh, you know, puritanical culture in America that, you know, you don't ask certain questions and all that. I like to, I like to say, Hey, how much do you make? What do you make? I, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes people don't like that, but tell me, tell us a little bit. I want to tell the audience because if I'm a listener, there's a a number of things going through my mind right now. We're gonna wanna get to some specific uh, strategies and techniques and tips that you have. But I really, as a listener and the host, because I get to ask the questions, I wanna know how you developed this mindset around money. So, uh, you know, tell us about growing up, a little about your parents, you know, what they did, maybe anything that contributed or was a deterrent to your mindset about money growing up?
1: Yeah, love that question, thank you for asking. Um, I was the oldest of six kids, was homeschooled. Um, My dad was a PhD molecular biologist, wrote many books, very well known in the the, natural medicine world and and healthy lifestyle. And I wanted to uh, be a doctor for about a week and then I took biology one and realized that for some reason, I don't know how genes work or DNA, but I didn't get a lot of my dad's DNA apparently, because uh, I did not do well in science uh, 101. So I, like, I grew up in a home where my parents like, you know were faith-based. I, I was baptized in the Sea of Galilee. I've been to Israel twice before 18. So I, I had an amazing upbringing, but my, and my parents were not entrepreneurs, but they taught me a couple of things. Number one, they taught me to be proactive. And that I cannot stress proactiveness enough. If you're a parent and have kids, like just seek, like have your kids, like, like, like have them be proactive. So my dad, I did not like working with him early on because he would be like, Caleb, you just sit around. Like, don't just sit around waiting for me to tell me what to do. Start seeking what you need to do. He, another, another story that I'll say that my dad did is like when I got an A on my first college, uh, college class in high school, by the way, um, I was all excited. And my dad just asked me a straight up question. He said, did you learn anything? I said, Dad, of course I learned something. I got an A on a test. He said, Caleb, like, there's a lot of people that get A's on tests that don't have a heart of learning. And so I then was challenged to be like, anytime I go and learn from someone, don't just try to check the box, but seek to understand. And even though reading is tough for me, I almost had a 4.0 in college. And, and now looking back, I go like, why did I even go to college? <laughs> but but at the time, I just, all the professors liked me because I really worked hard Went to went to the office after class and really got down to what they were talking to me about. And then the last story that I'll say that kind of shaped my upbringing was when I was uh, twelve years old. I had an incredible, um, embarrassing moment. I'll say, and um, I was at a at a Bible camp and we were doing some kind of play. And I don't know what the play was all about. All I remember is I was. Up on stage, totally blanked what I was going to say, pulled out my note card that I wrote on messy two lines that I needed to say, and every single word sounded out painfully. Mm. It seemed like it was like three minutes of me just like sounding out every word. And I don't, again, don't remember what it was. I just remember feeling totally defeated. And I went to my mom the next day and she said, Caleb, things that you can't control like your height, don't worry about this is really important. I want this to get, I want people to get this, but the things that you can control, like your reading, like, like how you show up, like your attitude, you have a moral obligation to change that. And you need to start taking control of the things that you can control. So my parents did not let me play the victim. Although reading was hard for me, they made me try even harder. And I, and I don't share this with a lot of people, but I ended up graduating college a year early and not, it was, didn't come naturally to me, but I, learned uh, another one of my favorite quotes is by Simon Sinek and he talks about the solutions that you find your weaknesses growing up become your greatest strength and I learned strengths that I really doubled down on that I actually I wouldn't trade them for anything and so I just being homeschooled and having parents having great parents they taught me how to embrace the things I was good at and never let me become a victim we would get in trouble for pouting as kids my parents did not want to raise victim mentality minded kids and so I'm just grateful for that. But I will say I learned all the money stuff and business stuff from other people. And that's another thing I would recommend is have your kids um, learn from other people other than you. And I just learned from some people that poured into me, encouraged me. And I, um, I was just grateful to learn at a young age, a lot of these things that we're gonna be delving into.
0: Sure, at what age did you realize you had um, interest or intrigue, curiosity, whatever words you wanna use about finance, wealth, money, because listen, there's a lot of people that are, you know, that cut grass or go work somewhere and they start making money so that they can either get a car or do something like that or whatever that might be. But it appears as if there was a, there was an age that you started studying some of the, they shouldn't be the deeper things, but they're the deeper things of finance and wealth. When was that?
1: That, it was at the age of 15 when I started making money working at the chicken farm, and I read a book by um, Richest Man in Babylon, um, and that's what got me, got me going. Before that, I've always been frugal. So I, I always hated to spend my own money, so that, that was something that was more ingrained in me, but I, I didn't have the investor maximizer mentality.
0: Right, so you're frugal, so did that frugality come? I'm gonna ask you, because uh, I really think this is important. Yeah. I'm gonna ask you a few more questions about your home. Yeah. Because I've recently put a lot more thought into kind of how I grew up and, and how money was perceived. Did you ever hear from your parents statements like, and we, we hope they're listening in, we're not ever going to say anything bad about parents, but. We all need to understand ourselves. Did you ever hear anything like, "We can't go there. We don't have enough money," or, st- you know, "Close the door. You're going to let all the store-bought air out," or something like that? Do you recall any of those type? Let's call them lack.
1: Yeah, I, I call them like scarcity moments. And so here's just mm. just, just so here's a positive. My dad made a lot, makes good money. He's a very very smart guy. And, and yet he drives a Ford fusion. Okay. And he doesn't buy any cars new. And my, well, I grew up in, in, a nice house. We never, like when we would go to, um, go to eat, we would never get a drink mainly or fries for health reasons, but also money reasons. My mom would always coupon. And so like, even though my parents didn't necessarily need to do that, that's, they, they, they inhibit, they're very frugal. And so Yes, I did get some of that, but I don't think I got the negative side. I do, my default is scarcity by the way. My default is like, okay. I, I don't wanna spend that. Like I'm, I'm, I need to be more generous. I, I hate spending money, period. I'm, I'm, I'm very obsessive with that. So I definitely, I, that's definitely from my upbringing and there's some positives and negatives. I will say most business owners go out of business because they're not, they need to be a little bit more frugal and a little bit more tight with their money and people I, just I run out
0: agree. of money in yeah. To kind of give a contrast on that, Caleb, that would have been my mindset. I had this optimistic, overly optimistic mindset that there was always more out there that I was gonna invest, put money, invest, put money, and spend, spend, spend. And, and I had to be purged of that through a business situation that we went through in 2008. But, um, so it's real interesting there. Y- you guys, you said your father's a molecular biologist. You didn't eat French fries because probably he knew what they actually were, correct?
1: Yeah, I, I would say so. I I grew up taking vitamins, eating very healthy, and I, that's another thing I'm really grateful for. And I I'm, I could have we could talk a hour about health. By the way, I love love that, and I'm grateful I'm grateful for that upbringing. Yeah, I may
0: I may want to ask about that, but I did want to peel away. So so in general, your home life was more of frugal, not necessarily scarcity, because that sometimes can be seen as a negative, but, but it was like, we, we make money, but we're going to hold on to what we have as best we can. Correct? Yeah. Uh,
1: so I graduated college in three years, stayed home and paid a total of $21,000 for tuition for a bachelor's degree at a UW mm-hmm. system. And uh, had more money after graduating college. So I don't I see it as a good thing, though here's, here's the difference. I grew up on a, on, a, on a frugal platform and then I met people that talked to me about entrepreneurship, talked to me about investing, talked to me about all this stuff. My, and, and by the way, I would have never been drawn to that because it would have been too risky. So I really feel like super blessed and I don't get to talk about this ever, but I feel really blessed that I got raised and I'm an optimistic person, but I, I'm very yeah. skeptical when it comes to money because I've seen multiple people get burned and go back down to zero. So I've like i grew up on a solid foundation, but I also got mentored and encouraged to fail forward, to take risk, to do other things, where my parents will be the first to say that they're they're savers, but they're not investors.
0: Right. So so was it again, this is kinda I, I, I really want I, I like, like to get into the mindset yeah. of this. Did you at fifteen look at your parents? And again, we 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 love our parents, we're not saying anything against them and say I can't get that financial wealth mindset here. So I'm going to pursue it or was it something you stumbled into? Was it some divine connections? What exactly yeah. happened? Because the reason I bring it up Caleb is because I vividly recall when I was late in high school saying to myself, I love my parents, I love what they do, but they were both in the educate they were educators. Yeah. And I love teaching and coaching. I still kind of do that today, really. But I found out how much they made and I said, you know what, I wanna make a lot more than that. So I'm yeah. gonna do some other things, made a conscious effort. Did, did you look and say, okay, I've gotten a lot of basic foundation here, but I've got to go pursue other people to get some more info. I
1: read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Think and Grow Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, The One Thing, all before age 18. And, at, and then I got, connected with a guy who got me a job at a bank. And then I asked someone who sold their last company to Warren Buffett, super successful, probably worth half a billion dollars to mentor me when I was like 18 years old. And, and that was a terrifying moment, but him being in my life and like pouring into me. And then times that once I got, took over the bank's investment department, all that hundred percent trumped or added on to my my foundation. So my foundation got me to 15, had money in the bank, got me interested in what's seeking better ways. But then Audible, thank, thank God for Audible <laughs> the, uh, um, and podcast really helped, helped supplement what that was. And I'm uh, again, when I hear something, I, I remember it. And so I, I picked up on all these things and I realized like Thinking and Grow Rich, very controversial book, by the way. But I, I was like, man, I want to dedicate my life to be, become the most valuable person I could be. So an example is I could, I could have made twice as much money after year two at the bank working for other people. I stayed at the bank, made less money because I understood that it was a platform that I, would be, that I would be able to be more valuable, that I'd learn to be more valuable. I wanted to be more valuable to the people that I was working with. And so it, was never, it wasn't even a hard decision where my mom would have said, Caleb, you could have made twice as much money. Should have gone to work. And for me, it was like, I wouldn't even consider it because I knew like God put on my heart in a young age, like this is what I'm going to be doing. And so I look at at things like, how do I get momentum? A book that I just recently read called Smart Cuts is something that I like naturally do. Like I look for trends, I look for momentum and I have a very long-term mentality when I do things. And so I always saw the bank as the number one platform for me to create the most value starting with myself and then going out and helping other people.
0: Sure. And it it may not have been that you were, I'll use this word, intentional about being in the banking industry, but especially at a young age, that gives credibility that one can't just get anywhere. You know, whether it's, truly should be the credible thing that it is. I mean, because banks really are in many ways, just a management organization. A lot of people are intimidated because there's money that's there, but, uh, you brought up something, think and grow rich controversial book. I'd like to hear you say why you think it's controversial.
1: I, I think a, a lot of so it's funny that I'm on this podcast cause I, I, if I ever do recommend it to someone who's a Christian, I always say, take this with a grain of salt. Um, because there's some <laughs> things that, that are said in that that are almost like, as a believer, they're like, oh, this is like, it's rich like throw it out. But like, I ask almost all everyone I talk to that I admire, like what books do you recommend? And I'm telling you, there's a theme and Think and Grow Rich, is, and Grow rich has been up there and has influenced a lot of the people that I admire. So, and also I've read that book six times and I take it with a grain of salt, but I think there's a lot there and it comes down to this idea of how we think. And again, wealth is starts in how we think. A lot of people read my book or listen to my show or hear me speak and they're like, they want a tactic. There's nothing wrong with tactics. I love efficiency hacks, but I'm telling you, you are missing the point if you don't understand that wealth begins with how you think and it really doesn't determine how much money is in your bank account. Like Hearing your origin story, you are living a wealthy life. I don't know what you have as far as money, but I know that you're asking the right questions. You get it. And so that's why, and that's why I just want that to be more of the metric than money in a bank account.
0: Yeah, it's real interesting. That's, it's great that you bring that up because I've had to reflect on this, is that we lived what many people, I, I think defining success is what's critical for many people. And and there was a time that the way I was defining success was having a, a challenge and, So anyway, but uh, there was there's still there's one more kind of, uh, I guess, who Caleb is that I want to find out about before we start getting into some specific strategies. You've brought up the dyslexic situation a few times. And, and you also brought up that, you know, we could, you know, use our strengths to our fullest. And many people would consider that A challenge or a hurdle to overcome but it's almost as if the tone in the way you bring it up doesn't seem that way can you talk more about that and I guess give some practical if someone's listening and they have some similar things or they have a child or someone what can they do to help that person through that if you could
1: yeah so the solutions that we find to our weaknesses become our greatest strengths. And so I use, I bring this up quite a bit, because there are insecurities that we all have. And for me, my big two insecurities growing up was that I, I looked super young, my little sister, younger sister, I should say, looked older than me for a good chunk of my life. Um, And then number two, um, I hated the game apples to apples, like that gives you an example of like, I didn't never want to be put in a situation where I had to read aloud. And I had more stress and anxiety when i had to read aloud because my identity was in how people viewed me i want that to i want that to land so even when i was 17 18 my identity was how people viewed me the reason i love thinking grow rich so much is there's a part in the book that take you have to get down deeper to your deeper root fear my deepest root fear was the fear of poverty Why? I'd have no clue because my parents would never let me go on the street, and I have countless friends and family that would never let me just starve on the street. So, why do I fear poverty? I actually feared being the ultimate failure by writing a book talking about money and then failing financially myself. And so, when I saw that, I said, This is going to be the number one thing since I'm on this show. This is the number one thing that Satan's going to use. This is the number one hurdle that will be put in my head or in my way. And I would say majority of people are not living the life to their fullest because they're afraid of criticism. They're afraid of what other people are going to say. They're afraid. And and then when I, when I realized like, I have one life, I know I'm young, but I've already lived one fourth of my life. Dude, you've lived half of your life and you're probably, probably more. So the point that I'm making is like, I realized I'm going to die someday. And I don't, I don't want to live life with any regret. I don't want to live life, would be like, man, I played it safe here. I played, because, like, the, there's a common theme of all the people that I've admired that they talk, they would give a lot to go back. They would go a lot to go back. And, and so I just, like, I realized, like, man, I don't want to live in anxiety and fear. In college, I, I, I got anxious over tests. I don't know why. I don't know why, but it was that moment when I was like, I'm not going to worry about this and I'm actually going to embrace this. And now I'm very open with my weaknesses because I want people to know that I'm human. And I know that whether it's, you're, you have troubles, like you have to design, you have to like look within because it's hard to move ahead if you have any anxieties because then you're all, always vulnerable. Then I'd be nervous if you asked me a question on this podcast or I'd be nervous to speak because someone would have the trump card. And at the end of the day, like, I've already been publicly criticized on podcast. like That's tough. And my identity is not on what someone that doesn't know me thinks. And so I'm sorry for that little rant, but like I get really fired up about this because people are being held back. And I just like, you're all gonna die. And we have, I have a reminder. It's kind of, it might be morbid, but I have a reminder of how many boxes I check off of years I've lived. And even though I'm young, everyone tells me you're young, you're young, you're young. If I live to a hundred, I've already lived one fourth of it. And it went really quick. It went really quick. And so I just want to be a steward of the, the gifts and time that God's given me. And so those are, that's kind of what's gone into why I share that. But my hope is if you're watching this or you're listening to this, that you can do some self-reflection because, I'm, because man, I'll just stop there.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's, that's excellent because what, what I heard was that we have to not allow others— or the thought of others, or others' thoughts about us, because really, I actually interacted with someone, I was almost a business partner with someone who had what I would call a high level of fear of poverty. He, they grew up in poverty, we did a lot of work together, and it was a, a bit of that root, Caleb, of being fearful of going back. You said you never knew it, but, but there's also this other piece to it, this layer in our world today, and that is, that it's very difficult to fail privately. It's very difficult to fail and no one know about it. If, and we're not, because it's an awesome podcast already, if this were the worst podcast episode ever, then we would almost be guaranteed for it to go viral because it's, it's so true, man. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting it out there for anybody to do that. I mean, you can share it all you want. In fact, I ask people to share it, but not for that reason. But, but literal epic fails is something that goes viral. And in many ways that impacts our money also because we're not just living in a fear of what other people are thinking. We're attempting to live to impress those people can you talk about yeah. that because i realized that was a little bit of the issues that yeah. i've had and i noticed that with some people around me that they are trying to do things to impress people that really don't give a rip what they yeah. think one way or the yeah. other talk about that and the impact on finances and well
1: entrepreneurs are, are worse by the way like on this because we have we hold ourselves to a standard but like i realized in my upbringing this is one positive thing my with my upbringing is my identity is not in what's on the outside and and though and then when i got into this space and start working with entrepreneurs i mean we we have a company that we're working with entrepreneurs in almost all 50 states and i'm realizing Mm -hmm. that people are very outward focused and i'm realizing that that's what sells um and it's really sad to me and i just and again it just goes back to if you know that you're going to die someday And if you realize that those people really don't care about you, like the amount of time that I'm going to think about your money is like zero. And so it's like, when you understand that people really don't care, I I do think like there's some peace in that because it just goes like, listen, I'm not accountable for your decisions. I'm accountable for mine. And and so that was, that's kind of like the process that I have. But like the reason I think a lot of people is their identity. Again, we have an identity crisis in, in America and in this world. And so everything can be chalked up to their identities in the wrong thing. Because if your identity is in the right thing, why would you do those certain decisions? Um, and right. so that's, that's, that's what I would say.
0: So, so I'm gonna pile on to that because to me, I think this is critical for people and I brought it up briefly earlier, but let's talk a little bit about success yeah. and how we define success. What I want to ask you first is how do you define success? And then I'm going to go ahead and follow it up so you can just kind of keep going. Is what do you observe, good and bad, in the way others define success? I think all this is sort of related, so take that and yeah. run with it.
1: It's interesting that you asked that question because this is the fir- one of the first questions that we ask people. We really wanna get down to the, your deeper root. And one of the questions that we ask is how do you define financial success? So it's, it, thank you for asking. Um, I made a mission statement for myself after doing the funeral test of like, what, what, like I'm gonna die someday and people really don't care about my successes. So what do I, what do I want people to like that are gonna be at my funeral to just think? And, and so I, want, I, I view success as an ability to help people see and reach their highest potential. And that, and that word's really key because helping people see, I believe most people don't even see their God-given potential that they have. Like I'm, I'm getting emotional when I think about this because so many people are created for, for a greater purpose and that could go for it and they're mm-hmm. not reaching it because they don't see it in themselves. And so if there's one thing that I could do is help people see it, and then I actually do, and this is where the wealth piece comes in, I actually wanna be a helper. I don't wanna be, be the hero. I wanna be the person that comes alongside you and helps you do what, what you should do. And so it's interesting, my, my mission has nothing to do with God, but, but I internally believe that you're not gonna reach your highest potential in life yeah. if you don't, you don't have your identity set on, on the creator, the person that actually formed us uh, to begin with. And so that is, um, that is how I would answer how I see success. And that's why I get so motivated Uh, in business is because I see it on a daily basis. Whether I see it in person or not, I know the work that we're doing is helping people see, but then actually helping people live that. And then what's interesting is my dad wrote a book called The Original Prescription, which it's pretty much every decision we make with our health has ripple effects. Same thing goes with our time, our money, and our abilities. If I help you show up more powerfully as it relates to business, because I help you get money, think about the impact that you can have by all the people that you're impacting, so incredibly selfish. I understand the importance of leverage. Leverage is like the secret to wealth, and and my mission is really how to help people create leverage in life, not just through money but through impact. And so that that's just how I think about success.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's real interesting how close that is to a saying that I have because as a as a business coach, as a as a you know executive coach. I actually say that part of what I do is reach down inside people and pull out what God placed there at the beginning and help bring it to manifestation or bring it to light. So, you know, we are are both, this is the reason that we connected so well, because we're both aligned with that. And does that have a very strong spiritual component? Absolutely. Is it all spiritual stuff? No. (laughs) You, You know, listen, like you brought up, let's talk about something that's even in another area health what what does it do for our lives if we have x amount in the bank but yet our health we we've lost that and i really am it's been real challenging we've recently gone through a situation where my father is going through some cognitive issues and i'm being reminded of some of those things and so So one of the things I'm reminded of is really that success is really encompassing a lot of things. But I I heard you say something, I think this may be a good merge into you, I think it was that you brought up on the podcast or something I was reading about you, you really, you really spoke about that the need for that financial foundation or something to that effect. I mean, we're in a world today. Listen, we know that money doesn't define us, but poverty doesn't either. Yeah,
1: thank you. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: so 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 talk about that foundation and maybe we're starting to get into some of the tips and some of the teaching yeah. and training and strategies, but talk about that and let's start moving into some of the things you do with Better Wealth Podcast and you know, the financial coaching, and then we're gonna talk about your book in a little while also.
1: Cool. I, I would One of the reasons I'm passionate about health and just to just to go off of that is a guy that helped co-found Better Wealth, who's like a second father to me, died two years ago with cancer, like left three kids under the age of 18, by the way. And I walked through that with him. And people say, like, Caleb, you're an old soul. Well, part of the reason I'm an old soul is like I've witnessed that. Like a second father to me who's like believed so much in me who came, became one of my first clients when he had no like he should not have been and then in, in fact was on the in the way of leaving what he was currently doing to come help me build this full time and i just saw that happen and i realized like we're not guaranteed anything um and so just to go off of that um so money needs to be at the foundation and i've found that most people don't even have a framework or a, a way of thinking about how to use money, how to think about money. And so if, if you would like, I would like to share with you like the four principles that we preach day in and day out here, because I, I've, I, I find that like this, you people can come on and talk about tactics and all this stuff, but if you don't have an understanding, it does not matter. So can I go? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's go,
0: yeah, go. Let's, this is a great time to so, do that. So
1: principle number one is all about clarity. One of my favorite word pictures is Alice in Wonderland when she gets to the fork in the road and the cat says, Alice, where do you wanna go? And she says, I don't know. And he says something very, very important. You don't know where you wanna go, any road will get you there. Majority of people don't even know where they wanna go. Hence why we ask so many questions to help people get clear. ROR for us does not have anything to do with rate of return. ROR for us has everything to do with return on results. If you can articulate what you actually want, nothing else that I say matters. And and is it not true that if we don't have a target that we're headed towards, it can be easy to get distracted? Um, I went running the other day and I knew exactly where the house was and I would not have made it if I didn't know that like that's where I was headed. Running in Colorado can be rough. Principle number two, efficiency. And when you think about efficiency, think about optimization. This will give you a better understanding of how I think about money. By the way, big fan of using money as a tool. And I don't, like, I really, like, poverty literally holds you back. Like, it literally, there's reasons why, if, you, if there's reasons why you can't show up powerfully in the world, and it's money, like, we need to fix that in ASAP. And so there's three things as it relates to efficiency. Think about efficiency, turning the mirror back on you. Everyone wants to hear about strategies in my book and all that. Let's look back on you and, like, let's self-analyze what you're doing. In fact, we believe so much in this. We have a financial x-ray, a financial assessment that we can walk people through this but there's three things that we're analyzing. Number 1 is cash flow. We're asking the question, how do we optimize cash flow? Our lives are based on cash flow. And so, number 1, how can we increase it? Number 2, how can we optimize it? And number 3, how do we track it and all these things? And so, we're we're like we ask the question, is my cash flow best serving me for the and we go back to principle number 1 in the results that I want. Number 2, we look at assets under efficiency and ask the question, is this home? Are these retirement accounts? Are these investments? Are these, is this car? Whatever you identify as an asset, is this thing that I own best serving me to help me live the life that I wanna live? And a lot of people are doing what they've been told, but they're realizing you're a business owner and you're maxing out your 401k and then you're complaining that you don't have any money. Well, maybe we should go against the typical way of thinking about money and saying, maybe this 401k might be a good asset for some, but might not be the best asset to serve me and where I want to go. So the number one thing, second thing that we need to do is audit the assets that we have. And the third thing is debt. And isn't it not true that so many people are drowning in debt? And I'm really fired. I get fired up about good debt and bad debt because I think there's some people out there that say debt, all debt is bad. And just like, I don't think any one thing or statement as relates to money is bad. I think debt can be used as an instrument to be amazing. Chapter three in my book, I talk about mortgages and in most cases, I think mortgages are an amazing instrument to help you create more control and more wealth. That's not typical, like that's going against the grain, but I also think a lot of people are in bad debt and how I define good debt is it's using that instrument to put more money in your pocket, create more control and have more security. Bad debt does the exact opposite. A quick debt hack is if you take your balance and divide it by the monthly payment, you're gonna get some kind of number. If that number is less than 50, we need to go focus and get that debt knocked off. That is bad debt. You have a ton of cash flow going to that bad debt. If that debt is above 100, I would highly encourage you to take a step back, take a breather, and, 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 and be okay with it. And there's, there's exceptions to the rule, rules always, but a lot of times people don't know how to think about debt. And I think we need to think about debt in the form of cash flow. And so that is a simple, we call it the cash flow scorecard. And if it's under 50, if it's within 50 to hundred, you might want, there's some options, but if it's over hundred, that may be a debt instrument that's good. So that's something that you can do at home.
0: So sure repeat that repeat that equation one more time so people hear you went you
1: went quick there. Yeah. Um you so you take your total, balance. Total debt. You take your no, no 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 you take each debt, you take your balance. So if you have a mortgage, you have credit card debt, whatever, you take that balance, you divide it by your monthly payment. Mm. That's going to kick out a number. The the lower the number, it what that tells me is a lot of your cash flow is getting eaten up by that debt, and if we eliminate that debt, it's going to free up more cash flow. The higher the number, that's essentially saying, hey, this debt may be an instrument to better take your money and do something else with it.
0: Yeah, okay, good. Thanks for repeating that because we went through through that quick. Okay, what's next?
1: Okay, principle number three is all about consistency. Um, One thing that that I've seen multiple times is the consistent person will win in the end. And we need to be consistent in two areas. So think of C squared uh, when you write these two down. Consistent in long term. Number one, if, you're, if you are going to build wealth, we need to think multiple generations. Um, our head wealth coach, Jeremy, his favorite quote is, a, a wise man plants trees that he will never sit under. We have to think long-term. And I think this is where Americans in general, just, just I will, I will be careful with my wording here, are awful in <laughs> um, because they're just like, we are so instant gratification. And so when we play the long-term game, we have to understand that every decision we make has the consequence. Going back to time value of money, a dollar today is worth way more than a dollar. A dollar lost today is worth way more than just a dollar. When I talked about this idea of money and, I, and in, in the book that I wrote, I talk about paying $10,000 um, for my first car in cash. I was super proud of myself until I realized that that one decision that I did cost me probably over half a million dollars over my life. Because that $10,000 is never able to grow for me ever again. And so mm-hmm. I, I talked to this principal to um, someone that I was mentoring, actually Greg, Greg's children that I've, I've been taking a mentorship role in. And, and they were like, I took them out to lunch and it was $64, like the buffet. And they said, Caleb, thank you so much for treating, but we know that costs you more than $64. And, and being the nerd that I was, I was like, I took out my phone. I'm like, let's, let's actually do the financial calculation here. And we found over my life, Tim, that I actually that that $64 meal cost me over four grand. So every decision we make has a long term effect. The second C is all about control. Some people call the eighth one of the world compounding. And while I, I don't necessarily buy into that, I don't think Albert Einstein ever said that but it, if he did, I would say the ninth one of the world is control. And I would take control every day versus just compounding. Compounding is a function of math. It's a function of your money growing over a period of time. It's great, it's just math. But I believe, especially if we're talking about entrepreneurs, especially if we're taking someone that has a mission greater than themselves, the ability to control capital is your greatest financial need. The example that I use in my book is, what is the rate of return? What is the power of a golf club? If you're like me and not good at golf, it's actually negative, because playing golf costs me money. But if your name is Phil Mickelson, A golf club can make you hundreds of millions of dollars what's the difference it's not the golf club it's how you use it the same thing goes with your money and and your ability and so i would just do an audit like some people if you have more control of your money you're going to bankrupt yourself that doesn't make control bad that makes your your use of control bad the same thing goes with you know, just anything in life. But I believe we need to seek control because in in my study and I looked at how banks make money and how Wall Street makes money and how the wealthy make money, they're all control freaks. They're giving us some kind of promise for the future to control our capital. Banks are just institutions that control our money better than us. And so when I realized that, I'm like, okay, I had this dilemma in life where I wanted to have control over money to start my own business. But I also knew this thing called compound interest is an amazing thing. And so that my book is just a, that addresses that simple dilemma. And I just I teach people how they can grow their money efficiently for the long term, but still maintain control of their capital to invest in their business, to, you know, you know, invest in real estate, invest in whatever God's put on your heart, but to be more efficient in how you save and use your money. And so that's that my book talks a lot about money principles, but it focuses on the third principle, which is consistency.
0: And then, okay. Consistency. Yeah. Number four. Do you say there are four,
1: yes. right? Number four is okay. all about use. Your greatest financial need is using money. And I would say you should use your money in a way that you want to live your life. And that is, and I, I lo- people ask me, Caleb, where should I invest my money? I go back to principle number one and say, what did you tell me you really wanted? What's your definition of success? What results do you want? You should use your money in a way to get that. And so, um, should you pay off your debt or invest? That all depends. Draw a T-chart. What investment? activities can you do whether it's your business your podcast you know the, the stock market what kind of debts do you have put a metric on that and that's where you should spend your money where should I spend my time depends let's look at what you want it, it blows my it blows me away how many people say one thing and do the exact opposite with their time and money I just think if you if you know if you have the the freedom of being clear of what you want it's super easy Like we will be able to help every single person that has clarity in what they want. You might not like the answers, but it's not complicated. And so use your money in in a way that will best help you live the life that you want. So principle number one, clarity. Principle number two is efficiency. Principle number three is once you have money, be consistent long-term and short-term. Don't choose between one or the other. Number four is use your money in a way that best aligns with the life that you want.
0: Yeah, very good. Now is this covered in your book? Yep. Do you go through these principles there? Tell us a little bit about the book now and then there are a few other questions as we begin wrapping up. Yeah. I kind of do a
1: Yes. Uh, I, I wrap for a while. Yeah. Tell us And about I, it. I have time. I really appreciate being on here. My book is called The And Asset and it's essentially it says the secret way to save and use your money at the same time. I wrote this over 2 years ago. I wouldn't have used the word secret cuz I think that's kind of a scammy word. <laughs> and and you asked are the four principles in there. They are, but they're not spelled out because I really came up with the four principles after this book was written. Um, but a lot of that you'll see with, which is in here. And it's all about efficiently using our money. And it's, it's really overfunding special type of life insurance contracts. And when you do that, your money, it, it's interesting because life insurance is like an expense, but if you reverse engineer it and you put as much money in and as little insurance as possible, it's actually an amazing place to store your capital where it will grow the long term, but you can also use that capital to invest in other things. And when I, I hated life insurance when I first started, and then when I truly understood it, I realized it's not, it's not the what, it's the how people are using it, it's how people are teaching it. And it can be an amazing foundational asset to store your capital and use it throughout your life. And I see money through the lens of efficiency rather than through the lens of rate of return. And then when you, but when you understand that this is an and, versus an or that's when the aha moment came out for me. And that's when I ultimately knew that although this is far from perfect, I needed to get my thoughts on paper. Ironically, the kid that can, that hates to read, writes a book. I just found it was at the time, the best leverage point that I could do to getting this information out in the world.
0: Yeah. And I, and I saw that book just a few days ago, so I wasn't able to get that and do a read through, but it doesn't look like it is a war and peace, 680 pages book. It's more of a, it's easy read or not easy with content, but easy as far as no. It, correct.
1: The, the best feedback I've gotten is Caleb. This is, this is the simplest book I've read on money. It, it, I feel like it's yeah. written by a fourth grader. You know why? Because I spoke it. So. Oh, okay. So that's
0: how you got in. Right. I just finished writing a novel and I could tell you these two fingers typing everything out was quite the chore. Yeah. No, I'm not that um, I'm
1: not that good, man. I, but, but I had a lot of help (laughs) and it's easy to understand. And I think, I think people just get it.
0: That's good. Tell us also about the, um, the better wealth and what all you guys are doing with that i know you've got an organization you're doing some coaching some financial training i think you also have a podcast there i listened to an episode or two there so tell us about the the scope of the companies and and the projects that you're working with so people know this is probably going to be leading
1: into how they can connect with you
0: in a little while but give us a little bit of a background there first
1: yeah so when i left the bank at 21 years old i knew that i needed to get this information out to the world and i couldn't just be held back to the corner office so leaving i you know we started better wealth it actually was better wealth solutions at the time because i was too cheap to buy the domain better and so we we just started from the basement of a you know papa john's building and then and then i just had this belief that if people understood what i was teaching there would be a line outside the door and so with that some people came on board and everyone has taken a backwards before, you know, we could pay them fully. We got the book out. I started the Better Wealth podcast. I started speaking. And then I just think something happened where we just the momentum of being showing up consistently every day just kind of blew up. And and so that's that now now people can check us out at betterwealth.com. They'll see that we're a company that serves people all around the country. We're currently working with 46 out of the 50 states right now. And we believe in education number one we believe in financial coaching number two and we believe in implementation number three and we can help people with all three and we just walk people through the four steps we also have an independent financial model i'm a nerd i believe every financial decision decision can be modeled independently using a cash flow ratio model and so we do that for our clients and then we help people set up strategies whether it's what i write in my book or different retirement strategies and and it goes back to intentional living and so it went from me to now we have over 15 people on our team and I don't even meet one-on-one with people anymore. Again, because we have this audacious mission of wanting to impact a million people in the next five years and I can't do that one-on-one. So we have built a team and I just, so what I'm most proud of is the people that I, I get to surround myself with that wake up every day with this mission to inspire more people. And I'm just grateful to just be a part of such an amazing team and um, see the growth and and with that comes challenges don't get me wrong but the internet's a beautiful thing and when when I first started people thought I was crazy people thought it was really actually disrespectful for me to start at such a young age and now it's funny because everyone's calling me because they're like man we do everything virtually and now now even the financial advisors that never knew how to turn on a computer are finding out what zoom is and they're like hey how do you do this thing again and I'm like don't even try like I'm like I could try to tell you what we do but it's just gonna it's it's gonna put you in your grave two years well i was gonna ask you you know we're uh recording this in
0: late summer 2020 when you know the world has somewhat changed and obviously you're growing a business in the midst of this have you seen um Anything that has slowed you down? Anything that sped you up? Are you well positioned? It seems as if that you may have been well positioned for the transitions that have occurred. You know, the new normal, the reset, whatever words you want to use. Uh, how are you guys doing through all this? We, we hired three people. and
1: your clients. Yeah, we hired three people since this whole pandemic thing happened. Here's why. Number one, we've been telling people that this was going to happen. Number two, none of our clients lost money. Number three, we had systems that totally allowed us to scale. And, and so we just, I think all those things have, have resonated. The number one thing that will hurt a company like ours is uncertainty. So there was a period of time that people were just uncertain. They didn't even know if they were gonna have a job. And so with that, we, we intentionally with our clients, like we intentionally did not have a profitable month because we did the right thing by our clients. With the, there were some people that were ready to make a decision. We just waited because that, that's the right thing to do. And so, um, yeah, with uncertainty, every business, quite frankly, except maybe like um, guns and gold or whatever, uh, everything else um, gets hurt. And, and now I think people are realizing, hey, this is, this is somewhat of the new normal, which I, not, I don't really love that term, but like this is, yeah, this is what we're needing to expect. Let's embrace a financial strategy that will show, like, help us show up powerfully next time. Uh, because our clients are better off for having working with working with us because of this.
0: Right. right. You said something very quickly that I'm not going to let it just kind of float away. And that is you said we knew this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to ask you to kind of go a little deeper on that. What do you mean by we knew this was
1: going to happen? If If you look at the amount of debt that we have as a country, if you look at are low. T- I think taxes are low. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but there was a world. There was a time that tax, the highest tax rate was 92%. You look at what's going on with student debt. Right now, as we, as we record, 9% of mortgages are in forbearance. Th- so you see all this going on, and then you see no one's saving money. When I say nobody, that's not, like, don't take that as like, a straight up statement, but majority of people are not saving money. Social security is going to go broke. We're just we're just headed towards just we're headed towards if something happens, we are screwed as a country and look at what happens. We people lose their job and have no money. And and on and my political views aside, like I don't I don't think it's sustainable for a country to just print money and send it out. But like like bad things will happen the moment that 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 gravy train stops because people are not positioned. We're over leveraged across the board. A lot of people take me out of context. They're like, Caleb, you're pro leverage, you're pro debt. No, I'm pro buying things within your means and then using the best instrument to buy that. The problem with debt is it allows you to inflate what you can afford. So I just see people are super over leveraged and we're not seeking value. And then my generation is totally out of their minds as it relates to what they're going to school for and how they see money, how they view politics and i just think it's it started it's a recipe for massive change it's a recipe for a massive taxation and um although at the time of this recording the markets are not the markets are still up because of the amount of money we're printing and shoving in it just that's not sustainable either so all those going all that going in and just using common sense it's like this can't continue to happen and what we're seeing is not true reality
0: Yeah, it, you know, you mentioned earlier, the short term nature of our culture. And I will uh, most mornings sometime during the morning, I'll pop open just my financial app with a little bit of financial news. And I I am constantly amazed, you mentioned the market, so we're not going to go deep into it. But I'm constantly amazed as when the market goes up, and we'll say the market, either the Dow or the S&P, whatever you'd want to, whatever you want to say is, quote unquote, the market, which is not a real good thing to really measure. But the, the headlines are something like, this is really irritating to me, so I'm going to rant just a minute. The headlines will say something like, markets go up on hopes of a vaccine. And I'm going, how did they make that soundbite little, had, that makes no sense whatsoever that Apple would go up, Apple computer stocks would go up, which is carrying the market up a good way, because there's vaccine, that makes no sense whatsoever. So anyway, that little mini rant on my part, I don't know if you agree or disagree Here, Here's
1: my philosophy with the stock market, is if you have a purpose in life, if you're especially an entrepreneur listening to this, you have on one hand something that you don't understand, I don't even understand, okay? And you're investing money in companies that you don't know what's going on and people like you, you, so Mm -hmm. you're investing money and I call that the hope strategy, like historically it will grow. But I would just really ask yourself, what is the opportunity cost of where that money could go? And if you're an entrepreneur, you might have a moral obligation to take that money and invest it in yourself in something that you can better control and and in fact, there's more to life than just appreciation. There's more to life than just growth. Money should be multidimensional. In my book, I talk about 16 benefits. Unfortunately, Americans just look at one.
0: Yeah, very narrow, very narrow. And I, I think a lot of those headlines are because that's what feeds the, the masses of, of, of the people there. So yeah. who would be someone that would be your ideal client or the client that... Would be a good fit, and if and if there's not one, but I I would guess you probably have a profile. Yeah. So tell us who that might be, especially because a listener might be going. I'd like to talk to this guy. I'd like to reach out to him. Uh, let, let's go ahead and try to match that up if we can.
1: Yeah, our our ideal client is somebody who who already values control and does like if you a lot of people the, a common question I will get is Caleb, how can I start the and asset? That's what I wrote my book on. And if you don't have ten thousand dollars to start the end asset we as a company pivot or do something different for you and to get started working with our team it's it's a thousand dollars so there might be some people here that are not a good fit and i would highly recommend you listen to the show you get my book if you reach out to me I'll, i'll figure out a way to get you a free copy of the book like i i'm big fan of education but i would say the person that is ideal to work with us seeks control and can save at least $10,000 a year and sees the value of having an independent coach, not an investment babysitter, but a coach to help them understand those four principles.
0: Yeah, that's good. And you say you guys are currently in 48 states. Is that correct?
1: 46 states. We can serve all all 50, but we just, we just come as if, if someone comes that we're not licensed yet. We just get the proper licenses to yeah. in those states
0: because that you that is because you have some lights. there's some products that you offer that you have licenses for in those areas so great where can people connect with you caleb yep. how can they get in touch with you go ahead. we'll put them in the notes but let us know how people can get in touch so with you
1: if you go to betterwealth.com that's Betterwealth.com, you can find out all about us as it relates to our podcast our youtube channel the book and then, if you're into podcasts, want to learn more, if you go, if you type in Better Wealth into your podcast, um, it will it will come up with my show. Um, but Betterwealth.com is the best way to learn more, and and you can take a free financial assessment and see how you how you currently are doing financially.
0: Yeah, that's very good. Thank you for that. And we'll include that down in the notes and recommend that people get the book and other things. I think they could find all that there. What's uh, what's next for you? Or I'm going to ask you. <laughs> No, I'll
1: ask that, what's next for you? So we, it's interesting because I'm a visionary, I'm a dreamer, I'm ultimately trying to build a billion dollar enterprise and platform to help people with this. And so what's next for me is we're building what's called Better Wealth Network. We're in the process of starting two additional podcasts with not me involved. We're in the, the, we're starting a vlog. We're starting like, I'm trying to figure out how do I get some of the best of the best financial minds to come on board and to produce content because I believe the future is media companies. So that's number one. Number two, we're, de- we're designing our platform to scale within silos. And I'm doing that because I see that that's where the future is going. I feel, feel like the future of financial advising is dying and the people that don't innovate will be uh, won't be relevant in 10 years. And so we're trying to build our platform to scale using technology but never we have a saying around here scale the unscalable so we never want to take the human touch out but we want to use technology to get all the inefficiencies and whenever there's inefficiency there's a lot of opportunity and i would say we're in a very opportunistic uh place being in the financial service business that's what's next for us yeah
0: that's exciting very exciting thank you for sharing that caleb the uh the the podcast is seek go create And you listen to our origin story. So you kind of know a little bit about where that comes from. And with your background, you could probably guess on a few of those words. But which one of those words jumps out at you and why? Final question here.
1: Uh, Create. I, I believe that I was created and I believe that as an American, we are still given an ability to go and create a future. And I just think there's so many things about that word, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an artist, whether you're a, a stay-at-home mom, there's so many areas that you can go out create and make things happen and uh, I just I, I think that if you go back to our roots, that is something that I resonate greatly with.
0: Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Caleb. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. I would like for everyone right now just to go to seekgocreate.com. We'd love for you to join our community. It's simple to give us your email address. It's right at the top banner on the website and you will be eligible for giveaways and you'll never miss any of our content episodes and the bonuses that we add. Join us please for next week's episode. We have someone who's, they've done a lot of things. They're a producer. They've written books, been a college professor. But some of the most fascinating conversations we have is something they did. They worked on a documentary about the homeless. So you're not going to want to miss next week's episode. So subscribe if you're not subscribed. Make sure you are watching for that to come out. And we we will talk to you next week on the Seek Go Create podcast.